We're going to hear first of all the, the account from, from Pentecost. Then we're going to watch a, a, a song. It's a song that, that, that when I first heard it last year, really, really struck a chord in, a chord in my heart that I've brought it to you this morning just to maybe, you might want to pray it through as you, as you watch it and, and so on from there. Or listen to what God might want to say to you before we continue in worship. The Bible reading is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 21, and it can be found on page 1093 of the Pew Bibles. So Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heart and 
the darkness I'm born with a desperate need for you I've failed you a thousand times Still your faith Teach me to fix my eyes on you
calling moments. Lord, you're with us always, but sometimes you just come. And you just move amongst us. And we thank you for the reassurance of your presence. We thank you that we can just be still. And know in our ever crazy world that you are God. And that you come to reassure. And that you come to encourage. And that you come to affirm. And you come to remind us how much we are loved by you. So Lord, build us up. Please stand. Lord, as we, we gather this morning, as your power is here, as your glory is here, as your presence is here, Lord, we just thank you for that. We thank you for, for those who've, who've been on this journey this past week. And Lord, as we, we come to our, our confession time, for many of us, this, this dustbin will be familiar. It'll be familiar because of the labyrinth that we've done. And for some of us, this was a, this was a poignant moment. It was perhaps a, a difficult moment. But a moment when you came and, and spoke to each one of us about a hurt we had, possibly about a scar that we had. And Lord, we, we don't like to be reminded of these things often. And while we wouldn't want to relive them again, we also know that through them you could actually move and change us. And so for our, our confession this morning, 
before we say some words. We're just going to burn them. And then we'll burn them completely outside later. And Lord, may we know that they have no power over us. That they have no hold over us. That they have no prison over us. Because you have set us free. And you remember them no more. And Lord, help us to remember that too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated for our reading. <laughs> the Bible reading is from John chapter 14. It can be found on page 1082 of the Pew Bibles. I'm starting at verse 8. So John 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So Father, come and continue to speak to us now. As we look at this, this passage from, from Acts chapter 2. Would you just speak into our lives now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That went up rather better than I hoped, really. That was, um, I'm sure you were a bit worried for a stage, weren't you? We could have passed it round, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, some of you would have left it on a bench, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can, I can well imagine that. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to do something a bit unscripted this morning, and mainly because I just want to allow a bit more time for the, for the Spirit to move amongst us, but also to be aware of, of, of what time that the children are, are coming back as well. Just thinking about that in the, whole, in the whole scheme of it. I just want us to think a bit about what was going on that first Pentecost. What would those 11 men and the other women and the disciples and the crowds who were gathered... You know, because there were really three types of people there that day. Weren't there? There were the mockers. There were those who were bewildered. And there were those who, who embraced. That was the three groups of people who were, who were there that day. And as they, as they gathered, they, they came... Knowing this, they knew that the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of God, was someone who came on a few people, on special occasions, for a special type of commissioning or enablement. That was all their history of what they knew about what the Holy Spirit was, or who he was. It was for people who were priests, people who were prophets, people who were kings or rulers. And if you if you did a a, just an Old Testament study, basically, and just wrote in "Spirit of the Lord," that's what you'd find out. It was for a few, on special occasions, for a special purpose, like an anointing of King David, or like on Moses. Or like Isaiah's famous words that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim good news to the poor. But you wouldn't find that many references. What you'd find towards the end of the Old Testament in books like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and as we heard in Joel. There was some promise that there would be a special outpouring of the Spirit. That were to come with the coming of the Messianic era. Then I want you to think about what these three types of people, the mockers, those who were bewildered, and the eleven, knew about how you became more like God. And that was through keeping the 613 commandments, or the laws, and the including the Ten Commandments. Which is actually why. All those people were gathered there. That first Pentecost. 
You know, when Julie was reading all those different names, you know, if we look at it on a map that, that should come up on the screen, because some of us work far better spatially than just thinking of the names. You know, they all gathered in that place of Jerusalem. And look at where they all came from. And see the significance of why were they all there? And they were all there because they were all there to celebrate one of the three major Jewish festivals. This one was the Festival of Weeks. It occurred 50 days after Passover. The significance of that for the first century reader was this. In the story of the Exodus from Passover, 50 days later, the people of God arrived at Mount Sinai where God gave Moses the law on how they were to become holy. And now what the people see that, mo- that morning is they see two radical changes for how life was to be for how you were to get to know God, that the Holy Spirit wasn't just for a special few, but was for all, all people, irrespective of age, irrespective of gender, irrespective of socioeconomic status. But also what you see is you see that life change or life transformation didn't come from keeping a list of rules, but actually came from the Spirit of God living in you. It was this seismic shift going on. This new way of life going on. All because the Holy Spirit, or as a description I'm going to use of him now, God's empowering presence was going to be at work and live in each one of them. You know, because when I, when I think of the Holy Spirit, what I, I often think of him in terms of these three words, God's empowering presence. And those three words just remind me of, of three things about him. That he's a person. The person of God, not an it. I don't know about you, but I always, I grew up in, a, in an, in an almost like an Anglo-Catholic, Anglican church that went charismatic in the, in the late 70s, early, early 80s. But one of the things that struck me all through my life is how many Christians refer to the Holy Spirit as it? As if he's someone non-personal. Now, we know why that can be because the images that we see sometimes of him and because he is invisible, isn't he? And the images we see at Pentecost of wind and fire, but he's a person. The person of God who wants a relationship, isn't it? A relationship with each one of us. You know, and and each week, this past week, we haven't been able to necessarily see the Holy Spirit but we've been able to see the effect of the Holy Spirit working in your life, in other people's lives, both in this place and all across our parish. But also when I think of the Holy Spirit, I think of God's presence 
like he's been with us this morning, like he's been with us all week, like he's with us all the time. But sometimes he just comes in deeper moments, doesn't he? In deeper moments in our lives and just touches us. And that reminds me so much about who the people of God were, weren't they? When the people of God were in the wilderness, it was God's presence that guided them. It was what separated them out from every other nation on the world. They had the great pillar of cloud that led them by the day and pillar of fire that led them by the night. And if the pillar stopped, they stopped. And if the pillar moved, they moved. And then there's this seminal moment that if you go and look around and read some of the words someone wrote about Exodus 33 on that board, which they didn't know that I was going to mention Exodus 33 this morning because I didn't write it. And there's this seminal moment in Exodus 33 where the people of God have been this They've followed God, but they've been this rebellious, sort of like ever-wandering people. This stiff-necked people, Moses would often use them, because they've been rebelling against God and and Moses. And God says, right, that's it. They won't have my presence anymore. And Moses goes and pleads with God and says, listen, if your presence isn't with us, there's no difference. There's no difference between us and every other nation on the earth. And in that moment, God promises to stay with his people despite their rebellious, stubborn nature. It's that great theme of presence that we see all through the Bible as we see as Jesus came to be with us. As we heard in our gospel reading, when Jesus promised as he was going to die that he would send that other helper, the Holy Spirit, who would be a presence with us. And to know that presence... It's hugely special, isn't it? To know the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is hugely special. And then there's the word empowering. You know, when the Spirit of the Lord came on those special few in the Old Testament, the word, the adjective that's often used is the word power, or he came mightily. And we hear at Pentecost the sound like the blowing of a violent wind. But also the power to then enable Peter to get up and to go and witness. You know, I don't know about you, but I find the only way that I can do half the things I have to do, or half the things that we have to do as Christians, is because it's the Holy Spirit who strengthens me to do it. And of course, it's just a continuous process, isn't it? You know, because we're all at times ever wandering, ever rebellious, ever itchy. And so, we go back to the mockers, or those who were bewildered, or the eleven. The mockers who sneered at the disciples and just said, oh, well, uh, they're just a bit merry and they've had too much to drink. You know, the people, they could be non-believers who say, oh, well, 
They'll use the reason argument, the logic argument, to try and explain it away. Or they'll say, oh, they're just being over-emotional. Or sometimes even Christians will mock other Christians, won't they? Because of the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. But no one has the monopoly on how the Holy Spirit works in someone's life, do they? Because as Jesus said to Nicodemus, the wind will blow wherever it pleases. And Jesus just, as Paul would say, do not resist the Holy Spirit. But there were those who remained bewildered. They kind of looked at what was going on and they were confused or they were indecisive or they were puzzled. But their confusion and their indecisiveness got in the way. And there are, there are non-believers like that. I know non-believers like that. This is how I, how I define them. When I chat to them, I say, oh, have any, have any of your family Christians or so on from there? And one of them will, and they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my, my mum is. And she's that type of Christian. And I know what that type of Christian means. And... There are also Christians who are tremendously puzzled about the Holy Spirit, aren't there? We could say, oh, well, that's great for you, but he, he's not for me in that area. And the great thing is, is, is that we're just reminding the Scripture to do not quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, to actually trust in him, as we'll sing in a moment. Because he might lead his times, in times, at places we don't want to go. But he'll never abandon us. He'll never force himself upon us because he, he loves us too much for that. And then there are the 11. The 11 who embraced the Spirit of God. If you like, who just got out there in the wind. And just wherever the wind blue they went and I think what I want to encourage all of us to do is to be like the 11 that wherever the wind blows wherever the Holy Spirit blows in each one of our lives to just go to see how that impacts in terms of setting our heart on fire for the love of God you know, this is what I think has been one of the great things, hasn't it, about, about this past week. You know, if you've been aware or if you've had other things on and maybe you've missed some of it. You know, one of the great things about this past week of prayer was about three things. It was about finding, finding new life, for God to do a new work in you. And I know from some of the conversations that I've had with other people, from some of the people who've spoken to me, that you've had that new life. That it's also about witnessing, like Peter was equipped to witness, to go and pray for those five friends or five family members, or if it's more than that, if you want to do a D.L. Moody and say, well, I'll do a hundred, please, or even if it's just, well, it's just one person for me. It doesn't matter. And he's been speaking to you about that. But the most important thing, perhaps more than anything else, is for the church to be so full of the life and the joy of Christ. And that can only happen through the, through the Holy Spirit working in each one of us. And when that happens, that is something truly special because that's where miracles happen. Because there is no greater miracle, is there, in life 
than the transformation of a human heart and the continued transformation of a human heart to be more like God. Let us pray. Lord, first of all, I just want to thank you for this, for this past week. And for everyone who's, who's gathered, whether it be at a service, whether it be here, whatever time of day, whether it's been on one of the prayer walks, in whatever way, Lord. And Father, I just pray that as we've looked at this account from Acts, that by your Spirit now, you would just maybe prompt us or remind us of the thing that you want us to take. Lord, that we would be still now and allow your spirit to speak and work in our hearts and lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.